Good morning, and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community, and we're dedicated to the free search for truth and for meaning. I'd like to extend a welcome to all of you, and especially to those of you who are visiting this morning. If you have questions about this congregation or about Unitarian Universalism, please ask the friendly people at the visitor table, and they'll do their best to help you out with your questions. We come from a heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. And so on Sunday mornings, we greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to our right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say with me the words by which we light our chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Morning, everyone. I'm Michael West, your lay leader this morning. I've been fortunate enough to be part of the community for a good number of years. Our call to worship this morning is actually adapted from something that uh, Reverend Meg Barnhouse wrote a while back. We gather to worship, our hearts alive with hope, that here we will be truly seen, that here we will be welcomed into the garden of this community, where the simple and the elegant, the fluted and the frilled, the shy and the dramatic complement one another and are treasured. May we know that here, each contributes in their way to the beauty of the whole. Come, let us worship together. May we root ourselves in the values of this faith, dignity and worth, compassion and respect, acceptance and responsibility. I bring you greetings from the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of San Miguel de Allende. They said to tell y'all hola, and I want you to know, in case you didn't know, that there are Unitarian Universalist congregations throughout the world who are each following their mission rooted in Unitarian Universalist values. Our mission is something this church wrote, and then we wrote it on the wall, and we say it together every Sunday. Let's say it together. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. May it be so. One of the ways that we support this mission is through our stewardship drive, which is a year-long thing, but it reaches its point of intensity right about this time of year. And so you will hear some of our members talk about um, stewardship and this congregation. Today, it's Roseanne Reeser. Good morning, everybody. My name is Roseanne Reeser, and I've been a member of this church for over 25 years. Hard to believe. I found this church shortly after I had moved from Houston to Austin for work. Dear friends who had also moved here about the same time invited me to join them here, and I've been here ever since. So why? Well, because here I found a vibrant community engaged and committed to living life in the best way we can, respecting all people 
taking care of each other and our world, exploring important spiritual questions, and enjoying the many gifts this religious community has to offer. The gift, one of the first gifts it offered to me, an enduring gift, is my husband, John Payne. <laughs> oh, I was going to say that he's shy, but he stood up and took a bow. So <laughs> I love the Sunday services, so enriched by Meg's preaching and the preaching of our other ministers, and so enriched by our music program. Thank you, Anna. I love that our children are part of the service and that small baby noises count as silence here. <laughs> I love that in Austin, people think of this church as a voice of the liberal religious community and that we are so involved in local and national social justice work. Thank you, Peggy, and many others. I love that we have a religious education program that offers our children and youth an opportunity to explore varieties of religious expression and develop a firm moral grounding free from restrictive dogma. And that this program extends to adult classes and reading groups on topics limited only by our imaginations and interests. And most of all, I love you, the people of this church, who dedicate so much time and talent and, yes, money, to enable the church to continue to live out its mission. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Over the years, my soul has been nourished, and I hope that through this church, or because of what I have learned here, I've been part of nourishing the souls of others. I don't know that I would say that my life has been transformed, but this church has certainly been a central force in forming my life. And I know it is a central pillar in the lives of many of us here. We want to be able to continue offering this forming and transforming power to all who may want it. Doing justice, we sure try. Through teaching our children fairness and compassion, and by modeling those ideals in our dealings with each other. Through opening our doors to all, and advocating for and with those whose voices may get lost in the fear-mongering greed and hatefulness that can seem so prevalent these days. I love that so many of us have expressed our support for the mission of this church by making a substantial commitment to fund a building project that will help us live out our mission for years to come. Soon we'll be nailing down the details and you will see concrete evidence of our commitment to the future. If you have already made a pledge and or payment toward our capital campaign, thank you so much. If you have not yet contributed to the capital campaign, we would love for you to join us in that effort. See the people in the gallery. But even while we build for the future, the near future must be funded. Once a year, we focus on our commitment to support this church by making a pledge of financial support for the coming year. We do this so that our leadership can budget for staffing, programs, and basic upkeep as we continue to live out our mission. Through a dedicated core of volunteer church members, people wearing the tags, we will be making an attempt to contact personally every church member and interested friend to talk about the church, its importance to you, and to ask for your pledge for 2017. 
There are people in the gallery today with facts and figures who would be happy to talk with you and give you more information after the service. We know that these are difficult times, and there are many worthy endeavors competing for your investment. We ask only that you think about what your investment in this church can mean for you, your family, other church members, and the larger community. Please be kind to the canvassers who call you and generous in your pledge. Thank you. Our reading this morning is actually uh, one of my favorite poems from Mary Oliver, The Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass the one who is eating sugar right out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms, thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what prayer is. I do know how to pay attention how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Now's the time in our service when we breathe deeply together and enter into what Ralph Waldo Emerson called the wise silence. So let's take some deep breaths together. We can feel ourselves softening, deepening. It doesn't take very many deep breaths until we feel the difference. The wisdom of all the world's religions says that there is a state we can come to where we find a still point inside ourselves. They say that it is in this still point that we grow in compassion and clarity. We need so much of both these days. Our world is buffeting us with noise and horror, distress, despair. We don't do anybody any good if we dissolve into despair. And this still point is the best antidote. Let us enter the wise silence together. One of the things that I do as a writer 
is that I try to write things that are as true as I can make them. There's one trick that I use to get to the underlying truth, and I'm going to use it this morning. And so you'll hear it. You can use it if you want to. Here's how it works. You write something, a sentence or so, and then you write, what I really mean to say is, and see what comes to your mind. With the first part of my vacation, as those of you who are friends with me on Facebook know, and please friend me if you haven't, if you want to, I started experimenting with cooking and baking. I learned something about how I like to do things. What I really mean to say is, I cooked every meal when my sons were growing up. What I really mean to say is, I grilled every meal (laughs) when my sons were growing up. The grill was in the carport, so so sun, rain, snow, summer, winter, I grilled every dinner. Um, Pork chops, steaks, ears of corn, hamburgers, peaches, I just grilled. There's something really satisfying about cooking over an open flame, and there's very little measuring involved. And when you have two small sons and a job, measuring just seems like too much. I'm no good at cooking. What I really mean to say is, when I was in my teens, I decided that I was bad at it. I used to experiment all the time. I made my own bread. I made my own yogurt. I made salads with uh, apple chunks and sesame seeds. And the grown-ups mocked me because it was the early 70s when salad was iceberg lettuce with Thousand Island dressing. I got confident. And um, what I really mean to say is I got confident enough to make a mistake, which was trying to make an applesauce omelet. I know. I should have known it would be awful, and lo, it was awful. I left the kitchen. What I really mean to say is, I left the kitchen to my mother and my sister. They were a pair, and I went to do math and play chess with my dad, because we were a pair, and that was just the division of parents that that family decided on. It was also, as I said, the early 70s when feminism was trying to find its legs again, and young women were told not to learn to type, otherwise they would be typing for the rest of their lives, and we were told not to learn to cook, because otherwise we'd be cooking for the rest of our lives, and we were somehow shown that in order to move beyond the stereotypes of uh Femaleness, we had to scorn everything that was part of that stereotype, like uh, wearing makeup and wearing perfume and cooking and um, giggling or whatever the madmen era said women were supposed to be. And it's taken the new generation of young women who can wear aprons and have tattoos and also 
struggle with work and family balance while at the same time asking themselves, why don't the guys have to struggle with work and family balance as much as I do? Um, I started getting curious about cooking again with their help, this young women generation, um, two of whom are married to my sons, both amazing young women. And it was a combination of that and watching the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> I don't know why that show makes me so happy. I love the way they root for each other and the way they're sad for each other and their beautiful accents and um, the bread they make. And it's just lovely. And it's usually cold there and they're wearing sweatsuits and, and it's raining and stuff. Very calming. So in sharing my cooking and baking adventures on Facebook, I got good advice from friends, and then I got bad stuff also from friends. Uh, I got freeze the flour before you make the pie crust and, and soak your hands in ice water so everything is really cold. That was great advice. Um, one person offered to come over and bake for me. That's... Not help, that's just something else. <laughs> Sharing your knowledge with someone, if they are mature enough to accept input, which of course I am, <laughs> can be helpful. A friend in Richmond sent me an excellent set of measuring spoons, and a lovely person in the church gave me an extra Cuisinart she had, which also has the advantage of having many cooking adventures already in it in its vibe, so it's going to be very helpful. One of the things I was looking most forward to coming back from Mexico is using that cuisine art. Another person kindly told me I should not start with the hard things, but start with the basics. That doesn't work for me. <laughs> what I mean to say is, I learned best by being thrown into the deep end. Plus, I don't really want to learn to cook. I just want to cook. You see the difference? I'm a firstborn child and a Virgo. I don't like learning things. I just like knowing how to do things. Fortunately, the deep end is where I landed in the Spanish immersion school this summer in San Miguel de Allende. We had to find a gay-friendly school, which some of you might not have to think about, but we did. And there are UUs in San Miguel, and they helped us find a house to rent, and they helped us with uh, good information about where to buy meat and vegetables, Wi-Fi, electricity, water, cell phones. The school was about a 15-minute taxi ride through the hair-raisingly crowded and narrow cobblestone streets. I think the most distance we ever missed another car by was this. The first day, I just showed the driver the address of the school on the phone. That's how much Spanish I had when I got there. The school had said by email that we could start any Monday. Monday morning, we were shown into a class of four people who turned out to already have been going for two weeks. They were on page 52 of a 60-page workbook. <laughs> Immersion means the Spanish is taught in Spanish. 
But I speak moderately good French, so I found I could understand nearly everything because 80% of the words between Spanish and French, at least the beginner words, when you're staying in the present tense, are very similar to French. It was a disadvantage in that I loved learning all the vocabulary words because that same part of my brain that's good at remembering names just lit up and I remembered all the words for everything, but it's the grammar that gave me a little problem. And the connecting words like and and but and also that are not like French and the French kept coming in and the teacher would go. (laughs) So I was happy figuring it out and I was happy knowing that I could understand so much and more and more every day I understood, but speaking is a lot harder than understanding, as you all know. Still, we had wide-ranging conversations about U.S. and Mexican politics and religion and the revolution and about Chinese herbal medicine, and the teachers were professionally patient with my struggles to express myself. We'd been practicing with Duolingo, which is an app that you have on your phone that teaches you any language you want to know. So I knew how to say, los elefantes no beben leche. (laughs) The elephants do not drink milk. (laughs) And quiero más ulvas en mi pastel. I want more grapes in my cake. None of those sentences was of much use in class or with the taxi drivers. (laughs) Everything in class was in the present tense, which is very good spiritual exercise. (laughs) I enjoyed very much practicing with the taxi drivers, and since we had two rides every day at least, I uh, worked with a variety of taxi teachers. They were also professionally patient with me. And once in a while, with a smile, they would correct my words. I was telling one that at the pool where we were going, voy a sentarse en la sombra. A la sombra, he kindly said. And then he said, what is that in English? The shade, I said. He practiced shade, shade, a couple of times. And when he came back to pick us up from the hot springs, he said, that word again, shike? Shike? said, shade. And I felt much better getting one sound right in my words, but not all of them. Because the words for Thursday and egg sound a lot alike, and the word for dog and butt sound a lot alike. (laughs) And it's easy to be comical to the Spanish speakers, which doesn't bother me. I'm still very timid about speaking because I hate to be a beginner. What I really mean to say is, I think I should be able to do everything well right away. What I really mean to say is, being a learner is fine for other people, but I'm very uncomfortable in that role. (laughs) What I really mean to say is, what? I don't know. It takes courage to make mistakes for me. It takes courage to be a learner. Why does it take courage? It shouldn't. It seems like everybody should know that if you're learning something, you're going to make mistakes. It should be all right, and it is all right with everybody else. It just uh, makes me mad at myself, which is ridiculous. 
What I really mean to say is, I'm just like everybody, and it makes me mad that I have to keep reminding myself of that. (laughs) Life reminds me often enough. So I learn over and over that it's okay to be a learner and that mistakes are inevitable if you want to grow and that some people learn best when they're over their heads and that the kind of help that equips the person who is adventuring is better than the kind of help that takes the adventure away. What I really mean to say is I'm glad to be back sharing life with you and this is going to be a learning year. Will you please say with me the words by which we extinguish the flame of our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Will you please sing with me? Let the life I lead Speak for me, let the life I lead speak for me. When I'm lying in my grave and there's nothing more to say, let the life I lead speak for me. Go in peace.